Hey there, beautiful people. So as many of you probably know by now, many of the issues I discuss on my show can be rooted back to how we feel about ourselves. A low sense of self-worth can be the catalyst for many of these issues. And if that sounds a little familiar, it's probably because you read my book, Life After Low Self-Esteem. I wanted to talk about my experiences overcoming low self-esteem and also create a helpful guide that others could use to help themselves. Now, to be clear, I'm not a medical professional. I'm simply someone who struggled with low self-esteem and low self-worth and managed to find my way out of that. And you can as well. On my website, I also have helpful tools such as an assertive communication worksheet and a worksheet on setting effective boundaries. And you can download those from my website for free. So check out Life After Low Self-Esteem on Amazon, available in ebook and paperback format. The Demetrius Show podcast covers a variety of topics concerning mental health. This occasionally includes topics such as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and thoughts some people may find distressing to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Each episode dealing with mental health is meant to be a general discussion and not meant to take the place of advice or treatment from any licensed medical professional. If you are needing mental health advice and or treatment, please speak with a mental health professional. So I know what it's like to be a young person. And even then, when I was that age, I didn't know who I was at my core at that point. That's an interesting story as well. So I know what these kids are going through and then add puberty on top of it, plus trying mm-hmm. to figure out their gender identity or their sexual identity. And, oh, homework, life, family life, right. like everything all at once. Let's just pile on top of each other and say, here, go to school. It's hard to be an adult who isn't heteronormative, let alone a child. Hell, it's hard to be a child in general nowadays. Look at what they have to deal with. School shootings, social media memorializing everything that they do, the constant pressure to be photo ready at any given moment. Add to that trying to figure yourself out in an environment where people are becoming increasingly hostile to your very existence day by day, especially here in the United States. LGBTQ children exist, whether you want them to or not, and no amount of sheltering or shielding them from the truth will make any difference. In fact, it does more harm than good most of the time. So how can we help these youth and ensure that they have the space to explore their identities, just like their heteronormative counterparts? And are there adults already doing this and succeeding? We'll find out about that today. So let's get started. Welcome to The Demetrius Show, where I learn how to walk through my shadows Picking the flowers I've grown through sheer resilience. And I may not know enough yet to start teaching, but I'm going to keep convincing you to keep pushing. I'm Demetrius, and this is my life after speaking. I've known I was gay, or at least different, since I was eight years old. I think that was the first time I got called a faggot, and it was definitely when I started getting teased and bullied all the time, despite the fact that I didn't do anything to anyone. And it started in second grade and went all the way past my senior year, where I was still dealing with this. It's the reason I struggled with my self-worth and had to continually go back and forth to therapy as an adult to unwind 
all of those negative feelings about myself and to finally come into my own as a person. So now I don't want any LGBTQ child to ever have to experience that, to be harassed, bullied, and threatened just for existing. Working with youth, I didn't really encounter many LGBTQ youth. There weren't any children who came up to me and said, Mr. D, I'm gay. But keep in mind that this was in West Texas and later Dallas, Texas, but still Texas nonetheless. Look at our governor. It's not that surprising. And oddly enough, my existence as a feminine gay man had virtually no influence on how these children chose to identify. Sure, they would ask me why I looked like a girl. They'd ask me that all the time. But that was the extent of it because they saw me as an authority figure and a person who provided them safety first and foremost. So just a tidbit for those of you who think we can't exist in those spaces. I did it for 10 years. Which is why I wanted to talk to someone else who not only has experience with youth and is LGBTQ like me, but is directly helping LGBTQ youth figure out who they are at a critical time in their life. Her name is Amy Hutton, and let's see what she has to say. Yeah, and first of all, thank you, Demetrius, for having me on your show today. I'm very honored and grateful to be here. And I'm coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is also home to the Indigenous people, the Treaty 7 of the Blackfoot Nation and the Treaty, the Métis Region, Alberta 3. And I'm just honored and grateful always to be on their lands and being here today with all of you. So yeah, my name is Amy. My pronouns are she, her, and I do many things in the world and just wondering where you want to start. (laughs) And that's so interesting that you are in Canada. I've always wondered, because of course I'm in Texas, the bottom of uh, the United States. Yes. And I believe I talked to someone before from Australia. So it's very, very interesting to talk to people on different continents and countries and what have you about it. Okay. So your profession now, what is it that you do? So during the day, I wear many hats. So I'll talk about my day job first. My day job is that I'm a job developer with a company called Ethos. And the program I'm in is called Ready to Rise, where we help women and those who identify as female who live in Alberta or the British Columbia, come back into the workforce, switch jobs, or even get organized to go back to school. And me as the job developer piece, I get to meet with our participants, but then I also get to navigate and network with employers on hoping to have them hire my participants. And what are some of the challenges that you face when you are advocating? One of the struggles we find, and it's not just myself, it's my other job developer, co-partner, both of them in British Columbia, that some of the women that come into our program are from other countries. Example, India, the Ukraine, like Eastern European region. And some of our participants have, example, beautiful resume, beautiful experience in whatever chosen profession in their home country. And then they come to Canada and it's a struggle because they don't have the Canadian experience to get the job they want. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's your day job. That's my day job. So that already sounds like you have a lot going on. (laughs) And then in addition to that, you also have some more hats that you put on. The one hat I wear is that I'm an LGBTQ2S plus youth coach with the age group of the 11 to 14 year olds. 
and I help them with navigating their own coming out journey and figuring out who they are and being okay with who they are. Yes. So 11 to 14, you said. What? Yes. Because I don't know if schools there are different from how we do them here. What grade would that be typically? That's roughly grade four, five, all the way up to maybe grade seven or eight. So your junior, uh, junior high, middle school. That's what I figured. So yeah. that's a very interesting age. That to me is when we are entering prepubescence and we're not only discovering things about ourselves when as it pertains to LGBTQ plus, but also just our bodies in general. And so they that is a very, very crucial time to really out provide some sort of outreach program to those yeah. youth as they begin to transition into adulthood, especially those years where they're immediately noticing that from elementary school to junior high, there's a shift. And absolutely that I'm I'm so glad to hear that you do that to provide Thank that. You safety net for them. Yeah, it's good. And the reason why, like part of my story is growing up between that grade, between grades three and grade eight myself, I was actually severely teased and bullied. This is back in the 80s into like 1991-ish. Oh, and yeah. like kids back then, like we didn't call it bullying. It was just called, hey, I'm going to pick on you or I'm going to tease you. Like, you know, it's part of mm -hmm. school life, right? Yet I was physically attacked twice by my peers. I was name called verbally, emotionally assaulted, we'll say even daily, daily by my peers. So I know what it's like to be a young person. And even then, when I was that age, I didn't know who I was at my core at that point. That's an interesting story as well. So I know what these kids are going through and then add puberty on top of it, plus trying mm -hmm. to figure out their gender identity or their sexual identity and oh homework life family life right. like everything all at once let's just pile on top of each other and say here go to school right exactly and it's hard to it's harder for you and myself to figure out or even come close to finding the time to figure out what our identity is when we are again being pretty much assaulted or just <laughs> existing every single day after a while it, it i imagine it takes its toll. It took its toll on me. And when luckily I was, I was very stubborn and I was able to still be like, no, I want to figure this out. I, da, da, da. But it's not the same for everyone. And some people do need, they get lost and they, which isn't a bad thing, but they absolutely need that assistance. They need someone to kind of be a mentor and say, okay, let me provide you a way to just give you the space to figure some things out. Yeah, I do a lot of listening. Like, you know, I have different packages, but the one that is, you know, I would say the most popular or the most well-liked is that I would meet with the young person every week through Zoom, actually. Like I do it virtually and we meet for about 45 minutes to an hour. And a lot of it is just me listening and asking a few questions and then letting them talk. And, and how do uh, those sessions, I'm sorry, how do those sessions typically, if you feel any success stories that come from those yeah. interactions? Yeah, so I'm thinking of a couple of different things. I've done other work before in the past and with kids, girls in general, before I knew who I was at my core. So it's kind of interesting turn of events in life and everything. But I was working with a young girl and it was in person at her school for like an after school program at this point. And she, I was asking her 
and I still do this today with the youth I work with today. I ask them to draw, preferably with crayon, if they can, if they can. I ask them to draw a thought that's in their mind. So what are they thinking about? A feeling in their body, like is their stomach crampy? Are there is their foot sore? Is you know mm-hmm. something going on in their body? And the third thing I ask is, what's a feeling you have in your heart? And that one sometimes is most tricky. And I remember this young girl, she drew like two stick figures on one side of the paper and on the the other side there was just a one stick figure person and she put the crayon down and she started to cry and I was like okay let's take a breath both of us together because I don't know Mm -hmm. what's going on and she looked up at me and she's like these are my two friends over here and this is me all by myself and I don't know if we're friends still right and she this young girl was in grade Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, okay, let's talk about this. Let's, you know, tell me more, like, tell me more about the situation and just talk with me about it. And whatever I said worked because at the end of our session, she was happy and smiling and wanting more. And I also remember this young, with this young girl in particular, dad came to pick her up one day after our session at the school. And he said to me, it was like week three. And he said to me, what have you done to my daughter? She's different. She's coming out of her shell more. She's interacting with the family more. Mm -hmm. So that would be a success story there. And then, you know, I have more recently a young girl I was supporting. And she, again, was talking about friends and friendship and different things. And all I did, I, I listened a lot. I just held space. But she felt a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident as we went on. And that was just a couple of years ago and through Zoom, through COVID. And the mom again came to me because the mom and I are actually friends. She lives about three hours away in the province here, a city called Edmonton. And she was like, wow, my daughter's changed. Like she's noticed some differences in her for the better. And so parents see a shift in their child within the first little bit, and then it just grows from there and there. It's, it's amazing to see the children, the youth kind of like blossom open. It takes a few weeks sometimes to get them to open up, but they do eventually. And, you know, on top of me being a, a coach, I also have training in a few different areas. I did take three courses in mental health and suicide prevention and one of them I took was specifically for youth like me as the adult if a youth comes to you and is showing signs or talking about things or whatever and the one thing that really stuck out in my mind during this workshop course that I took of prevention of suicide for youth is that children choose their safe person to talk to yes they do Mm -hmm. and then me as that caring adult, all I do is steer them to safety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do have boundaries, obviously, when I'm working with youth over Zoom or is, you know, when, if they, if this possibility inkling of maybe they're looking at harming themselves or, you know, having suicidal ideations, I do let them know that I have to go talk to somebody else. Like I have to get help for me to help you. Who do you want me to talk to? It could be another teacher. It could be a teacher. It could be another family member, like an aunt or an uncle or, you know, a grandparent. It doesn't have to be the mom and dad, but it has to be somebody else that they trust that I can go to. Okay. And, and that's so, that's important. And it, that takes a lot of mental and emotional fortitude as well. Yeah. To be able does. to provide that not only safety, but to set those boundaries, like you mentioned, so that mm-hmm. 
that they know that yes, you're a safe place, but also that that safety comes with some some additional elements to it in order to keep them out of harm's way. Absolutely. For sure. And it's really interesting to see. And, you know, as I said, the different packages, I can, I like meeting weekly because then I can see the changes happen. The other option I have is if the parents or the caring adult wants me to meet weekly with them, I can. But then I also have an add-on where parents can decide that, oh, my child wants to be beneficial for them to text with me through an app called Voxer, which is a encrypted, safe phone-to-phone messaging system that they can reach out to me during the day, one day a week, if something is going on that they need to talk about, like right now, right? kind of thing. Um, again, with the boundaries of, I can really only talk to you between this time and this time, like, you know, having those parameters in place, but it's that extra bit of a safety net if something is happening and they're like, ah, I need help <laughs> kind of thing. Of course, of course. Uh, on, on a certain day, yeah. Well, it's, it seems to me that you really do make it a point to make yourself available within reason, mm-hmm. of course, but it sounds like you really are passionate about making sure that they are able to get that time in with you. And that makes all the difference. So you mentioned that a few of the youth that you were helping out, they were, it sounded like they were facing some self-confidence issues. And it seems to me that that would be common around that age, as well as I believe, of course, anxiety and that sort of thing. Was there any other mental health struggles that you noticed that were a trend within the LGBTQ youth that you encountered? Anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm also thinking of my own coming out journey that I had myself in 2018 as a grown adult of, you know, who can I trust? Who's going to keep my secret? Like all those, the what if questions and the what if cycle that kind of goes in your head when you start spiraling with anxiety. And so that's one thing I've noticed. Another one that's not as common and I wish it wasn't common, wasn't even in youth, but it does occur sometimes is PTSD. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I hope that that can be stopped. Yet, one never knows because like PTSD is like things that happened to them in the past. Mm -hmm. And anxiety, anxiety is things that are haven't yet happened. And me, me, myself, I live with PTSD and anxiety. So it's a interesting balance to keep myself centered and like in the today kind of thing, not thinking about my past and not trying not to obsess and worry about the future, which is where the anxiety comes in. I will say when I worked with youth, just in general, with teenagers, especially, it was really hard to pinpoint when, because I worked with foster children for about a few years, it was really hard to pinpoint when they were depressed versus just, you know, being a teenager and sleeping Mm -hmm. till three in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I became very passionate about because I wanted to make sure that I was able to distinguish the two because you have, especially with depression, I have depression and it's very easy for me to mask it. It's very easy for me to go to work and Mm -hmm. I may just be completely exploding inside, but no one really knows unless like my supervisor last year, I went and told her, Hey, um, I'm going to need to take a month off because, <laughs> no. you know, it, it, it's just, it's not, yeah. it's not happening right now. 
And she, she told me, of course, she, you know, cause we were very close. She said, you know, I would have never even thought something was going on. And I said, yeah, that's what a lot of us go through. They have depression who work and we have to go to work and we have to show up and we have to, you know, be productive and not let it con- completely eradicate everything around us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that portion of me struggling with that was when I was like, I need to make sure when I'm working with youth, because I was depressed as a teenager mm-hmm. that I'm seeing if I can see that for what it is when someone else who hasn't been through that probably cannot. And I can provide them with the resources that they need. And so hearing you pretty much doing the same thing with the youth that you encounter, it's it's very heartwarming to hear and very important for people to know that types of resources and those types of adults are out there who want to foster an environment where kids can thrive and where they can figure th- those things out because yep. they do happen. Yep. It does. And a lot of the work I do, even through Zoom, is yes, a lot of like, I'll just listen and talk, but it's it's getting that active piece, like drawing those things out. Like, because mm-hmm. a lot of kids express their feelings and emotions and what's going on through drawing. And I remember having a conversation one day with a gentleman who I was sort of like pitching this idea to him, but more in group settings like to do workshops with some of the young boys uh, that he potentially would be working with because he did lots of things with men, which is great. So I was coming in. I'm like, well, I can, this is what I do with girls, but it relates. Boys can do the exactly the same thing. Yes. It's a lot of art and drawing and that sort of thing. And he was like, no boys, no, we need to do like quote unquote manly things. And I'm like, Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, what if what if the boys that are coming into your your circle, we'll we'll say that, you know, coming into things that you do with the men aren't don't want to go chop down trees and build a fire. Maybe they do want to do they feel more comfortable doing the art like all kids can do art. All people can do art. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was just kind of interesting when he's like, no, it's too flu flu too too. No, I'm like, mm, okay, I can see we're not going to have a win-win on this situation. Right. Have a good day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and speaking from the men piece, yeah, because a lot of, it's kind of baked in, I know in the United States, it's really baked into the culture where men do not like to express themselves at all. Right. So you're going to have a hard time. I have in my experience, getting them to really verbalize what they are feeling. And I feel that an avenue such as drawing, like you mentioned, would be really beneficial because it wouldn't be so much as they're saying it, they're showing it to you and showing it to you in an environment where they feel safe. And Mm -hmm. so, and they're not going to feel judged, but at the same time, they're not exactly like saying it out loud or people can hear what they, what they're saying, or they can read what they're, what they're writing. So absolutely. That's where that can absolutely come in because you don't have to be, you know, drawing anime at 12, you can draw stick figures and (laughs) whatever you're capable of drawing and still convey what it is that you're feeling. So Yes, I absolutely, I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Get them into art and they don't have to be, you know, these wonderful, superb artists either. They just, yeah. we, just need to draw. That's art. <laughs> Stick oh, figures, sure. just art. 
it's art. For sure. I agree. So it's, that's what, like when I do my coaching sessions one-to-one privately through Zoom, I always make sure I'm like, please have some markers, some pentagrams, some crayons and your journal, like a workbook. And I let the parent know also ahead of time. I'm like, your child is going to need some paper and some markers or pencil crayons. Cause I mm-hmm. do that activity of, you know, draw what's in your mind, what's in your body, what's in your heart and actually do a fourth one. And the fourth one is draw me a picture of what makes you happy. Right. And every, every week we would do that. And to see the progression and the transition even there is really cool to see. Yeah, that's good. Cause that, that reminds me kind of a, of journaling, but yeah. in a visual format. Yeah. Picture journaling is what I call it. Perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what I think of. Very mm. good. Cause that definitely helps with figuring out where you are self-improvement wise. Yeah. So very good. Yes. Very excited to hear that. Perfect. <laughs> cool. So with regards to, you mentioned earlier about your personal journey of overcoming yeah. mental health struggles. What yeah. was that like for you? Well, it was a journey. <laughs> like, and I think it's, I'm still on said journey. Mm-hmm. Um, because mental health, like people, I feel, yes, you, it's something that you live with and it doesn't all, doesn't a hundred percent go away. So my PTSD and anxiety with panic attacks sort of was amalgam, was compiled. So with many different things, one on top of the other. So, and why one therapist that I was working with, my counselor therapist, she even, she pulled me back even to, before I could really remember things. And mm-hmm. it was trauma from when I was a baby. I was part of, and part of my story is I was born three months early and my birth weight was one pound, 12 ounces. And I was given 24 hours to live. Mm-hmm. And this was in 1976. Yeah. So that's like trauma right there. And then just the things going on with it, you know, I walked late, talked late. I had learning challenges in school. You know, my, I know my parents were asked in, when I was in grade three to put me into what we would call today, like special education, like a special class mm. for slow learners or whatever. And my parents actually said, no, my parents like said no to the school that no, you can't put my child in special education you can hold her back a year instead and give her the extra support through like tutors and whatnot in the school. So I had that. And then the bullying happened from grades three to grade eight. And that was crazy. High school was high school. Luckily the bullying stopped in high school, but the damage had already been done. Mm -hmm. So I was really cautious around lots of people because when I was in example, I was in grade seven. And when I was in, I was in a grade seven, eight split and the girls in grade eight, one of them was like the ringleader, as there always is. And she came up behind me in the girls' change room and she grabbed me by my bra strap and flung me around the room. Mm-hmm. And then when I let go or she let go, I went flying into a locker, didn't know who did it, didn't know who I could trust. So fast forward into high school and, you know, I'm in on the swim team and the field hockey team later on in high school. And I'm like in the same room changing with the one or two of these girls that I knew were in that locker room back when I was in grade seven. So I was a little cautious <laughs> exactly, yeah. that. And then I still had my learning challenges and whatnot in school. And then in university, I 
got involved in an abusive relationship where my ex-boyfriend choked me once. He was emotionally abusive. And then when I ended the relationship, he stalked me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All before the age of what, 25. So my healing journey happened in my thirties and till even now today, like I'm 46 and it's just been learning to love myself learning to be okay with who I am, learning to accept compliments. That's a big one. I remember saying to my therapist one day, I was like, you can tell me I'm stupid, ugly, retarded, dumb, and a loser. I can take that. But tell me I'm pretty, I'm beautiful, I'm smart, I'm amazing, and a goddess. I struggle with that. So it's been a lot of work. <laughs> and my partner's amazing. She, uh, She's been so supportive through our relationship and knowing that like going slow and doing things maybe not as fast as quote unquote normal would. Well, yeah. Well, there's a speed for everyone. Yeah. There's a speed for everyone. And it, it just takes time, especially for those of us who fall under the LGBTQ plus umbrella. We all alive. I said this on a previous episode where we did not, especially for relationships and things of that nature, where we start them later in life and it's like we're trying to rush to catch up on the things that we missed out on mm-hmm. and being able to make sure that we give ourselves grace for being at maybe a later stage in life mm-hmm. and feeling like, oh my gosh, I feel like I just should just be so much further ahead and know what I want and be better at relationships than I am currently. It's like, no, you didn't get the same opportunities to... Right explore that in your youth the way that your heteronormative counterparts were able to do that pretty much from like what elementary school <laughs> till yeah. the rest of their entire life without yeah. any interruptions or hostility like you they it's not the same thing you can't put yourself yeah. on yeah. that much pressure to oh, for sure. reach that yeah so absolutely it's and it's interesting too like i because i only came out to myself first in 2018 and at that point, I thought I was bisexual. And then I kept it silent, maybe told three or four friends at most. And then in 2019, I was in a another personal development type of coaching program. And it was all about overcoming fear. And it was interesting. So I remember still to this day, I was sitting on a Zoom call just like this. And I just blurted out that I'm bisexual with a lean to the feminine. And I haven't told my parents yet. And hmm. the, cl- the, the the program stopped. And my coach, who's a wonderful woman, if I can do a shout out to her, her name is Romy Marlowe Ellis. And she's the founder of The Uncommon Woman. And, you know, she stopped the class and she looked at me and she's like, you're safe. We got you. You hmm. work with youth and girls and trying to help them be their best self and live their authentic self. And you're not. There's a disconnect. Right. So when are, when are you going to tell your parents? So through a whole lot of crying and feeling like I'm going to be sick, she helped myself and everybody else in the class, like write a letter as if you need to tell someone your truth. And what does that look like? And so I remember writing it and I, how I started was I started with two of my cousins first, then my sister and then my parents. And when I told my sister, wrote her an email, I was like, you know, I'm fine it, I've accepted the fact that if you don't want me to see my nephews anymore, then I've accepted that. And I'm okay with that because my happiness comes first. And her response back to me was, you can still see your nephews and my views have changed because there was some history of 
stuff that I, I found an email back when we only had one email address for the whole family. And if you wanted to write to the person, you put their name in the subject line. So I saw that one day in between in university when I was home and it was not to me, it was about me. And it was an email from someone in my family asking a friend of theirs who had just come out as gay if they thought that I was. And mm. the response was, I don't know. I can't tell. The main reason, the main question is, can you still love her if she is? And the response that I read back was no. So oh, wow. when I had to, when I chose to come out to my parents and my sister, there was a ton of fear, ton of fear. So sorry, my sister said to me that, you know, we still I still love you. And yes, you can see your nephews and just go tell mom and dad already. I was like, okay, crying. So I remember writing my parents at 10 p.m. here in Calgary, Alberta, and it was midnight because of the time difference. It was midnight in Ontario. And I hit the send button and I pretty much cried myself to sleep. Hmm. And then when I woke up the next morning, because of the time difference, again, they had already opened it, read it and responded. And I remember just crying even before I opened the email. And, and luckily, my parents are loving and accepting. And, you know, they said, you know, we still love you, we still accept you, we'll support you as we can. And then at the bottom of the email from my mom, she wrote, we thought something was going on. And you would tell us when you were ready. And I guess you're ready. So that's my coming out story. And then in 2020, I had to do it all over again. Because again, working with my coach, we are in a private session this time through zoom. And she's like, there feels like you still have something to tell me. Like, there's something going on. Do you like, and I just started crying and she looked through the computer screen at me and she's like, do you think you're only attracted to women? And then I just cried even harder and nodded my head up and down and squeaked out a yes. And she's like, okay, say it. So she had me say it, you know, hi, my name is Amy and I'm attracted to women over and over and over and over again till I could mm -hmm. feel strong enough to say it without a problem, like to feel confident in it. And I don't remember writing my parents that time. I think I just did a post on Facebook about it because they already accepted me as I was at that point anyway. So I'm like, mm, don't have to tell them again. I'm good. The fun part was telling them about my now fiance and trying to do that and work around that. But again, my parents were amazing. And, you know, hello, partner, like great to meet you. And yeah. So it was good. Again, through we did it through video chat because they're in Ontario. Yeah, that's that's quite a bit that you've you've gone through and experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. So given that, I wonder, given what you have been through, given what you have been able to achieve with working with youth, what would you, at the age that you are now, go back and tell yourself? And I believe it was 1991 was one of the oh. years you mentioned. What yep. would you? go back and tell yourself, do for yourself, if you could. If I could go back to 1991, oh my gosh, I was in grade eight. <laughs> I'm going to, it's just the, the self, the encouraging, like the self-encouragement that you're going to get through, you're going to be okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're something else is going to come your way in university, yet you're going to get through that too, and you're going to be okay. And, you know, your family loves you, and, you know, you have friends around you, and, you know, just the encouraging piece just to keep going and just I'm a fan of Walt Disney World and Disney in general and the movie of uh, 
Finding Dory just came in my head and Finding Nemo. It's mm-hmm. like, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And just keep going. So given all of the resources that you provide to the youth that you work with, what are some that we still don't have enough of? We don't have safe spaces or braver spaces or even accountability spaces. You know, that's another part that I do. And I work with educators. I've created a whole entire program for educators on how to create a physical safe space in their school that is manned by teachers and, you know, at lunch or recess or before school, after school kind of thing that a a youth can come to and say, hey, I need help. I was just attacked in the locker room, for example. I wish I had a place like I wish I had a place like that. Oh, yeah. I think most of us do. For sure. A safe Mm -hmm. space. Well, I'm glad that you reach out and you tell administrators and the school that, you know, they kind of need to work on that, on developing those spaces. I know what an uphill battle that can be. (laughs) Um, I've known that since I was a teenager and I was like, hey, you know, back when things were very much more, much more conservative and much more where, oh no, you can't have that. Yeah, I was right there on the front line saying, no, we need these spaces for us, whether you accept us or not, we need the space. So Mm -hmm. I completely understand how difficult that can be to convince, not only just convince, but to get them to just get the ball rolling on it and see that it's worthwhile. And once you've even managed to start it, to keep convincing them to go through with it, you know, Mm -hmm. for the youth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you're going to put, I'm guessing my, at least my email in your show notes and stuff like that. If any educator listening or even like Girl Scout, Girl Guide, Boy Scout, Scouts Canada, you know, anyone who works with youth, if they want help as well in creating some sort of space for their meetings and whatever, please reach out to me. I have a whole curriculum. There's five five pillars in this. I don't remember them right now at the top of my head, but there's five of them that the educators or the adult leaders of youth go through. And it's like a full day workshop for educators to do with me. Thank you for listening to The Demetrius Show. Reviews of this show help expand my audience size and reach new listeners. So be sure to rate it on your preferred listening platform so more people can know about it. Also, if you really love this show, be sure to subscribe to my email list so you can be the first to get news and updates about the podcast and more. And as always, be kind to yourself, be safe, and until next time.